right into Philippians 4. Um, joy through, <coughs> excuse me, joy through peace is what we're going to be talking about today. So let's go in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the blessings you've given us, Father. Father, we ask that as we go into this time of study that you really touch our hearts, Father, that you use your word, Father, to just change mindsets and feelings, Father, and just Father, right now we just ask that we just surrender everything unto you. And Father, that you just come in and dwell with us right now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> excuse me. We are starting in, <clears throat> excuse me. It promises just seasonal allergies. We are starting in verse 1 uh, in chapter 4. And I'm actually going to read verse 1 all the way down through verse 3, even though our book splits it a little bit. Uh, it says, So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and my and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement, and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So getting into the latter part of the book of Philippians, Paul begins to address a certain, some certain things. And, you know, I can speak from uh, a minister's side of it. Sort of a, a touchy subject as he gets into this here. And it's not really comfortable um, for a pastor or for a leader to really start addressing and and I, I want you to see how he started his conversation with them in the beginning he said so then my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters he was telling them before he got into the touchy subject how much he still cared for them. you know and a lot of times I think that we forget to even though we may have conflict, even though we may have a disagreement, we should disagree in love. We should disagree in concern and not out of anger. And you know, a lot of times we, when we address people that we're angry with, we're most definitely not calling them my dearly longed for, loved and longed for. And if we do, it's usually, if you're like me, uh, my second language is sarcasm. So it's usually in that manner that I am addressing a situation. And Paul here is talking to them about how much he cares for them, how much he wants to be with them, how much he, uh, and the word here is love. And you know, when you think about not just family, but when you think about your friends and your loved ones, I think a lot of times when we talk about loved ones, we get so caught up in, the, in that just being our family. Our nuclear unit and that's not always the way it is you know that for Jackie and I when we started when we got married we lived an hour and a half two hours away from all of our family so we, it, we had to find a nuclear unit that that could be our family at that time and you know she was at Pontotoc and, and there was a lot of good people there that really reached out and and cared for us and um, really took us in uh, and, you know, I, we were talking to, to Maddie the other day about when we went into ball games right after she was born. 
we would hand her off to uh, someone in the stands and we would look around the middle of a girls basketball game and she's been passed all the way down and all the way back. I mean, it was like a typewriter. And, and you know, when you get into that, and we will forever be grateful for those times that people actually cared for us and actually cared for our family. And I think that sometimes for us, we get so oh confrontational. Our society is so confrontational that we forget uh, to really smile and just let people be wrong and, and not really have to argue and fuss. You know, I'm the world's worst. If I'm right, sometimes even when I'm wrong. Um, I want to prove that I'm right. So we have to get to that point what Paul said. And what Paul said to him was he called them um, his joy in his crown. And what he's talking about there is he wants to be able to present them to God as his spiritual children, as a success story. You know, when you, you start thinking about uh, people you come in contact with away from your family, and you start how much you've influenced them, how much you've touched them. And every now and again, sometimes we get a little um, puff in our chest like, hey, I've actually done something right. I've actually affected someone that doesn't live in my house. And Paul was talking about, and, and there is this belief that uh, no, our works don't create our salvation. But there is this belief that um, our works do put jewels in our crown. And the idea of that crown when we get to heaven is that it will be given to us to give back and lay at the feet of Jesus. So, you know, when you think about putting those jewels in your crown, you, you start thinking about all the works, um, not out of obligation. And I think that's where we get so caught up. Paul was not writing to the church of Philippi out of obligation. He was riding out of love. He continued to call them my brothers and my sisters. And he began to say, you are my joy and my crown. But he also gave them a little bit of a instruction here. Stand firm in the Lord. You know, there's a lot of obstacles today that keep us from standing firm. There's a lot of reasons today that we, we use to not stand firm. It's uncomfortable. You know, we were we were sitting there this morning eating breakfast, and it's always something that, that we, Jackie more than I, try to teach Maddie that you need to do something uncomfortable every day. You need to get out of your comfort zone every day. For Jackie's Sunday mornings, her uncomfortable moment is eating eggs because she does not like eggs. But the thing about it is, is it's just something that we have to do. And for us, we need to to get out of our comfort zone and stand firm even when it's not comfortable. You know, as a father, that's really hard for me sometimes because Jackie will say no, Maddie will fake cry, and I will fold. I will, I don't know why you're not letting her do that. I don't know why you're being ugly to her. I do because Maddie probably brought on herself, but either way, we have to learn to stand firm. And I want you to see what Paul said here. Paul said, in this manner, stand firm. In the manner of love and joy, stand firm. You know, a lot of us stand firm because we want to be right. 
lot of us stand firm because we have to. When what Paul is telling us to stand firm because we love it. To stand firm because we care about the word of God. Not because we want to make sure that the Baptists are more right than someone else. Or because we're more right than someone else. We, we get into that idea and it, it, then he goes down and he starts talking to specific people. He said, and I urge Yodia and Sithiki. And I don't know what these two ladies had against each other. But I want you to know that at one point in time they were friends. Because it says they both were worked side by side with Paul. So somewhere along the way, these ladies got into a disagreement. Not that it has ever happened to anybody in this church. We're pretty safe, right? We, not that we've ever looked at somebody and disagreed. But he went on and he said, I urge you to agree in the Lord. That doesn't mean either one of them have to admit right or wrong. That means that they have to put aside their selfish individual thought processes and agree that the mission of the Lord is greater than their desire to be right. Now think about how many times in your life that if you had just not addressed the situation, if you would have just let it go, how many arguments you would have stayed out of? How many times we look at things and go, eh, I could leave that alone, but I'm probably not going to. I'm probably going to tell them they're wrong. I'm the world's worst. I, I admit it. That, that is my biggest, not my biggest, Jackie probably has a list of others, but one of my bigger flaws is that I want to address when you're wrong. But then I get frustrated when you address when I'm wrong. Doesn't seem quite fair, does it? But Paul here is saying to, in the Lord, just agree. You know, there are times we do have to address things. There are times when, and, and I go back to this as I said in the beginning, when Brother Will has to have an uncomfortable conversation about a situation that is not healthy, that is detrimental. You know, we get so caught up in, and, and forgive me for, for going here, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, we, we have to have where I, when I grew up, you had to have a King James Version of the Bible. It was, it was what you had to have. Everything else was of the devil. It just was. But now, you look at it and you, you, you go listen to, to pastors and, and Brother Will does not use the King James. I'm sure he's like everybody else. And we study from the King James. But we don't use it to read because you get tongue-tied with all those these, thous, and those when you're trying to get through your scripture. But people say you can't read anything else. Why not? Prove to me why I can't. Tell me why you have that conviction. we got to use hymnals. Why? Why do I have to hold a book? Some people like it, and I'm okay with it. Some people like the screens. Some people hate the screens. I'm just like, why does it matter? Let's worship. You worship your way. I'm going to worship my way. But we like to address those situations and tell other people why it's so wrong. You know, ask you this. Feel free to be honest with me. You won't hurt my feelings. Do you have a preference of a style of preaching? 
close my ears. I mean, but, but literally, everyone has preferences, don't they? There are some people who want to hear a fire and brimstone preacher. If they're quiet, they don't like it. I had a guy tell me the other day that he, he wanted a, a fiery preacher. Okay. Then there are some people who don't want anybody yelling at them. They want you to talk calm, almost monotone. But which one's right? Neither. Exactly. You're going to preach however the Spirit leads you. You're going you're gonna to listen. You're going to do it. But we want to get into which way is right or wrong. I can't, I can't deal with this. What about contemporary Christian music? Ooh. Hold on now. You're going too far. Am I? The message is the same. Listen to it. But the thing about it is, is you've got a lot of people that fight change because they're uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable in change. Don't let me lie to you. I like my routine. I like things the way they go. Jackie looked at me the other morning and said, wow, you're rigid. I am. Everything's laid out in the morning. It's supposed to go the same way. We go to church with the same mindset. Three songs, three verses each. You preach, don't go past that time that we're supposed to be out. If you preach too long, I'm looking at my clock. So, you know, the thing is, is we have to get into that idea of what Paul is saying here, and we have to have an agreement in the Lord. Not only do we have to have an agreement, sometimes we have to have a mediator, which is what Clement was called to do. We'll step in there and say, help them a little. That's okay that we have to admit that we need help. It's okay that we have to admit that we need someone to step in and tell us to be quiet. So you get down there and it says, and all of my co-workers whose names are written in the, in the, in the book of life. You get over to verse 4, some of my favorite verses that Paul have, has written right here. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. My, one of my favorite, I'm telling you. I love those verses because if you read what Paul says in verse 4, not only does he say rejoice, but he says, I'm going to say it again where you can hear me. I think Paul is Baptist. Um, <laughs> Just kept repeating himself. You know, if, if you think about this, how many times do we truly find that we are not rejoicing in the Lord? You know, we're happy. We smile. People tell me all the time, taking a picture of our family, like, Brad, you going to smile? This is my smile. And I've always stood by the fact that I don't have to have an outward facial expression of the feeling I have in my heart. But, you know, I've come to learn as I've gotten older, there has to be some outward expression of happiness. There has to be some outward appearance or people just think you're mad all the time, which they do with me. So I have to correct things. But if, you know, you look at it and he said, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. You know, the word, and I, 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 one time I'm going to the book right here. 
The word joy is found 150 times in the Bible. If the related words joyful and joyous are included, that number is over 200. Listen here. The verb rejoice appears over 200 times in Scripture. It is something that we are called to do almost like a demand here. It's a verb. You know, when you start talking about tenses and, and you get into the breakdown, here's what you need to know about rejoice. You cannot do it if you don't have action. It is not something that is a noun. It requires us to move. It requires us to do something. And how do we rejoice? We let our graciousness be known to everyone. The external demonstration of God's internal work is us being grateful. You know, we have this thing in our house. Jackie does 99.9% .9 of the cooking at our so, and it, it's like a ripple effect. I will tell her, thank you for cooking. Maddie will say thank you. Eli will say thank you. So she's got to say you're welcome three times. But I didn't, I haven't always expressed that thought process. And some days still don't. But how many times should we say thank you in a day? How many times should we say thank you for what the Lord has done for us when, when we drive I drive about 20 miles from work, from home to work. How many times should I say thank you that I got there? Or how many times do I just expect it? It says, let your, your graciousness, your gratefulness be seen by everyone because the Lord is near. Now, there's two ways to take that. You can take it as the Lord's coming is near. Or, the one I like, you can take it as when we're grateful, we're closer to God. When I show that gratitude, I'm getting closer to the heart that I should have, the expectations I should have. I get into that idea that nothing is owed to me. You know, I grew up spoiled rotten. I would admit it. Uh, both of my parents have passed on, and I probably should have admitted it way before now. Not until I got older did I realize how ungrateful I was. And still today I catch myself. You know, how many times do people do things for us? And I'm going to put it on you. How many times do people do things for you and you just expected it? You know, we have a routine at our house in the mornings and waters are made and and the other morning, Jackie got up before I did. She made me a water. She made her water. You know who she didn't make a water? Maddie. And so my 16-year-old comes in there and she looks at me and goes, what, Dad? I was like, I don't know. What? She goes, you didn't make me a water. I didn't make the waters this morning. Well, I need a water. They're in there. And the mixes are in there. Because as a child, not, not, getting, not saying anything bad about my child, but don't they just expect things? Because we always have. Yeah, that's the way we do with God. Is he's always protected us. He's always done these things for us. So now we just expect it and we forget to be grateful. We forget to be thankful for those things. You move on down and it says don't worry about anything. 
but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I can't teach on this one. We're going to jump right over it. I'm the world's worst at worry. Worry about everything. And I'm learning. I'm, 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 I'm trying to get to the point where I understand there's nothing too small to take to God. There's nothing too big to take to God. We always teach that. But I think for us, sometimes we forget that there's nothing too small to take to God. Because here's what it says. It says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It doesn't say present your big request. It doesn't say present your urgent request. It says take everything, everything to God. Take, take any need that you have and don't worry about it. Lay it down. Do you know why we struggle with this? If I were to bring this book back there to you and I were to hand it to you, would it be easy to take it? How? When would it be easy to take it? If I took my hand off of it. If I handed this to you and removed my hand, it would be easy for you to take it. If I kept my hand on it, it would be a struggle. Y'all, that's why God can't take things from us because we keep our hands on them. Okay, God, I'm going to give you this. But I want to hold on to it because I'm not sure you can do it by yourself. When it says to let go of those requests, lay them at his feet. And when we lay them at his feet, what happens? Listen to verse 7. Once we lay them down, he says the peace of God that surpasses anything you can understand, anything that you can grasp, will guard your hearts and minds. So the only, the, the only way for me to find peace is to let go. Do y'all know the difference between surrender and commitment? Some of us are committed. Committed to church, we're committed to God, we're committed to our family. A commitment is like a job description. We get a list of things that we got to do, we sign at the bottom. Surrender, which is what we're called to do right here, is to take a blank sheet of paper, sign at the bottom, and hand that blank sheet of paper to God. And say, you fill it up however you see fit. So we've got to take away and get away from that commitment and get into that surrender so that we can have that peace. You get into verse 8 and it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. All right, let's be honest with ourselves. Out of that list, how many of them can we honestly say that that's what we dwell on? Or do we dwell on the negatives? You turn on the news. You open up Facebook. And it's all negatives. So of course we're going to dwell on them because that's all we're putting in. It's all we're thinking about are those negatives. But it says finally, whatever is true. Jesus said that he was the truth. There used to be a professor, I don't know if he's still there or not, at a local college, not going to name it, uh, who told some folks that there was no absolute truth. There is. Jesus. Jesus is absolute truth. So, you know, it says to think on the things that are true. How many times do we worry about rumors? 
better known as lies. We get so caught up, I can't believe they said that about me. Hear me well when I say this. Stop caring. If it ain't true, it ain't true. I can't believe they're doing that. Is it true or are you just hearing it? See, the thing is, we've got to get into that truth. Not only the truth, but whatever is honorable. I'm going to give you one warning here. Not what we think is honorable, but what God says is honorable. Because we think things that are honorable are this and that, and this and that. Go back to Scripture. Let's make it simple. Not, ever, not only what is honorable, what is just. <clears throat> Another warning here. Just means that you get what's coming to you. You know, God is a loving God. But one of my favorite attributes is that he's just. You get into what is pure. What is without. And it doesn't mean without flaw right here. What it means is that it's, it is complete. What is complete you get on down and it says, what is love, lovely, what is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, anything that is praiseworthy, dwell on this. You know, it has been so hard as coaches at times to dwell on the good things. You know, we were talking after a volleyball match the other night, not going to name our volleyball coach, Coach Kelly, um, and, you know, we won. But as coaches, we have this thing in our brain that doesn't allow us to fully focus on the win, and we focus on, well, we should have done this, and we should have done this, and we should have done this. We do it all the time in basketball. We'll walk off the court, and I have said it, and, and Jackie said it too. You know, people say, I don't lose well. Well, sometimes I don't win well. Sometimes we win, but there was a lot of mistakes. Not picking on Alabama, but do you think that Texas A&M actually thought about what went wrong last night after that win? No. No. Do you think that they thought, hey, it might cost us $250,000 for these people running out on the field? Nope. You know what they thought about? They won. I want you to understand one thing. You've already won. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have already won. And we don't have to dwell on the what ifs. Y'all know what? What if the vaccines don't work? Okay. What if the virus is all made up by the government? Okay. Why are we talking about what ifs? Let's talk about those things that are true, that are, that are pure in our lives. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me and the peace of God will be with you. So I'm going to close like this. Paul never once in his life shied away from naming himself as an example. You want to know what to do? Paul would tell you, follow me. Are we that confident? Are we that confident in where we stand that we can look at people and say, follow me? I'm going to lead you to where you need to go. Because that's what Paul said here. Remember what you've learned. Remember what you've been taught. What you've seen in me. 
If we're not, we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be that confident. That when we walk away, people are believing what we're talking about rather than second-guessing it. See, it talks about getting to that peace. And remember, the way we get to that peace is to focus on what is right instead of what is wrong. The positives, not the negatives. Let's go look, pray, we'll close out. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for that peace that passes all understanding, Father. Not does it, it doesn't just pass it, but your word says it surpasses it. It goes far beyond anything that we can understand, Lord. Father, we pray for our worship service. We ask that you be with our song service, be with Brother Will as he brings a message. Father, just allow us to, to soak it all in and you'll allow your word to do its job, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.